pleasure to welcome you this morning. And we didn't announce it, but we're having homecoming this week. <laughs> so uh, good to see Timothy and Leah and Hannah uh, back with us, grown up, got launched out into the world, and uh, all able to come back on this long weekend. So it's good to see see all y'all and uh, have y'all with us as we worship this morning, as we've met together to worship. And uh, don't forget that um, um, the, the next coming Wednesday and... Uh, I'm going to direct your attention to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look at a promise, a covenant that God makes with David, the king after his own heart. And then later in the book of Luke, we will see the angel Gabriel declared to Mary that the son that she bears will be the answer, the fulfillment of this promise, this covenant. And so 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, the Lord speaking to the prophet Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning to be able to gather together to worship, Lord, and we thank you for your kindness toward us in your Son, Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for uh, uh, your person, your being, your holiness. One God eternally existent in three divine persons. And each person involved in our salvation and your grace toward us. The Father decreeing and sending the Son the Son living a sinless life and then dying on the cross and being raised from the dead to purchase our salvation, and God the Holy Spirit applying it to our hearts and our lives, bringing us conviction and repentance and faith and new birth. And so, Lord, we give you praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and thank you for your work for us, in us, and through us. And, Lord, we thank you for the work of your Spirit that enables us to trust in Christ and to come to you through him and then to offer you worship that is in spirit and truth. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and exalted 
in our worship, through our worship, and in our hearts this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn number 300. And All right, as we continue to worship, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. This will be the second uh, week that we've looked at these verses. Uh, the announcement of the birth of Jesus to his mother, Mary. We saw last week that God sent Gabriel from before his presence to go to a little out-of-the-way Pick town, off the beaten path, small village of Nazareth, and to meet with a young virgin girl, a 13, 14-year-old girl, betrothed to be married to Joseph, a carpenter, a virgin, Gabriel sent to announce to her that she will conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. And at the end of that announcement, Mary declared herself to be the servant girl, the girl slave of the Lord, saying, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, may it, be, may it be to me just as you have said according to your word. And so Mary gets this announcement and she believes and she submits herself to the will of the Lord. And today we'll zoom in on a part of that announcement, looking at the description of the baby that would be born. Uh, what... Uh, what the angel tells Mary specifically about the son that she will bring forth. And so in Luke chapter 1, beginning in the 26th verse, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we read the word of the Lord that says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what matter of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, which is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And today we'll zoom in on those, uh, those verses uh, 30 through 33. Where the angel describes the, the, the son who will be born. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive a son in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, 
there is, there will be no end. Let's pray together. Lord God, again, we thank you for who you are, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us in sending your son into the world to become a man and live a sinless life, to die as a substitutionary sacrifice and be raised from the dead, and then highly exalted, seated at your right hand, reigning now in the hearts and minds of his people, and the coming king who will come again and bring the kingdom in its fullness. And we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit now in the in-between time as the king is bodily absent from the earth but present with us in the person of the Spirit. And Lord, now may your Spirit work in us and help us to understand the truth of the kingdom and to believe and then, Lord, be good citizens of your kingdom as we live here as pilgrims, as sojourners, as aliens in enemy territory awaiting the return of our glorious King, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to do you guys a favor in the next uh, couple of sermons. I'm going to help you get ready for Christmas, and I'm going to help you get ready for uh, uh, the day after Thanksgiving when all the radio stations begin to uh, uh, play Christmas songs. I'm going to help you uh, answer the question, what did Mary know? When you hear that song, Mary, did you know? We're going to talk for the next three sermons about things that Mary knew. What Mary knew because she was told by the angel certain things. And so uh, we're going to focus on uh, things that Mary knew about the son that she would give birth to. And we'll see, uh, we'll see that and we'll see some in chapter 2 as well as she encounters Anna and Simeon. But today we'll focus on what Mary knew because she was told these things by the angel, by the angel Gabriel, who stood before the presence of God and was sent by God to the out-of-the-way village of Nazareth to make this announcement to her. And so we're going to look at things that she knew, things that she was told by the angel, things that she was told by Gabriel. And we talked last week how Gabriel was sent to her in this out-of-the-way village and came to her in the middle of her daily activity and gave her this amazing greeting, telling her to rejoice that she had received God's favor, that she had been chosen by God because of God's sovereign grace to be a very important part of his plan to redeem sinful people to himself. God had chosen her of all the women on the earth at that time who had ever lived, who would ever live, to have a very unique role, to be the mother of the Christ to be the one who uh, the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. She would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son that would be named Jesus and that would be the Savior of the world. Mary had been chosen by God to be used by him in the outworking of his plan of redemption like no other woman uh, ever would, ever will be. And that's why the angel said, and Elizabeth will say later, blessed are you among women. And so the angel comes and makes this announcement and, and, and Mary and Mary is startled by this announcement that you have been favored by God and that God has, uh, uh, is with you and now he is going to tell her the nature of the mission to which she is being called. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And he then begins to tell her things about this son. And so we're going to look today at things that Mary knew about Jesus because the angel told her these things. 
And so the first thing that Mary knew about her son is that uh, he would be the Savior of the world, that his name would be Jesus. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And that name Jesus, that name means Jehovah is salvation. The Lord is salvation. And you will bring him forth, and you will call his name Jesus. And when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 in a dream, the angel adds, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so Mary knew that the one that she was going to give birth to would be the Savior, that he would bring salvation, that he would bring salvation to his people, that he would bring forgiveness of sins and salvation from the Lord. Now Jesus was a very common name uh, in Israel during this time. It means the Lord is salvation and it is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua which means the Lord is salvation. And I can imagine there were a lot, of, a lot of little guys running around in Israel whose names were Jesus or Joshua during that time because parents would, uh, 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 a lot of times parents, when they have a baby, they will uh, voice their hopes and their dreams and their, 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 their prayers for their child in the name that they give. And so I can imagine a lot of Jewish parents uh, having, a, having a son, having a boy, and, and desiring desiring that this child, this baby, would somehow be used by the Lord in a special way in the outworking of his salvation. And they voiced their hopes and dreams for this child by naming him Joshua or Jesus. The Lord is salvation. But this name does not come, the name of this baby does not come from the hopes and dreams and aspirations of his parents, of Mary and Joseph. No, this name is delivered directly by the angel, the angel Gabriel, sent from the presence of God with this message, with the name, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He is the Lord's salvation. And this name was given by the angel. And, and this is uh, the thing that Mary knew. She knew from his name delivered by the angel that he would be the Lord's salvation. Now, she probably did not know all that that meant. She did not know all the way that that would come. She probably did not know that he was going to live a sinless life and then he was going to die on a cross as a substitute, as a sinless sacrifice for the sins of everybody that would ever come to him in repentance and faith. She probably did not know all of those things, but she knew that the name had been given that the Lord is salvation, that he is the Savior. And I'm convinced that, uh, that Mary... Up until the very moment when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I think that Mary did not know that he was actually going to die on the cross. I believe that Mary expected him to perform another miracle, uh, to do as he could, maybe to call 10,000 angels to come and deliver him from that cross, to take him down from the cross so that he would, and then to cast all of his enemies into hell forever. I believe that Mary held out hope until the very end that he would not die on the cross until the moment that as he was hanging on the cross, Jesus saw Mary standing beside the disciple that he loved. And Jesus looked at his mother as he was bearing the sins of his people. He looked at his mother and said to her, Woman, behold your son, indicating 
the disciple that he loved. And then he looked at the disciple that he loved and said, Behold your mother. And I believe it was that moment that Mary realized that she would have to lose Jesus as her son in order to find him as her Savior. And so she did not know how all of that would work out. She did not know the outworking of the plan. She did not know that he would die a substitutionary atoning death on a Roman cross. But she knew that he would be the Savior. She knew that that was the name that was given to her by the angel. You will call his name Jesus. And what was added to Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. So what did Mary know? Mary knew that this child that she would bring forth, that he would be called Jesus. And this is the importance also of the virgin birth. It's, it's, it's imperative. It's, it's essential that Jesus be fully human in order to be the Savior of his people. And that's why this doctrine is so important. Jesus had to be fully human in order to fulfill the righteousness that God requires. He had to be fully human in order to die as a representative for sinful humans. He had to be fully human in order to conquer death for them. He had to be fully human in order to be the mediator between God and man. He had to be the man, Jesus. He had to be fully human in order to be our sympathetic high priest. And so Jesus is fully human. And he is conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And so that was extraordinary. That was miraculous. That was once uh, in, in all, of, all of eternal history. And so his conception was miraculous through the power of the Holy Spirit. But everything else was normal. Everything else was the same. Jesus grew. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but then he grew in the womb of Mary, just like every other baby. Jesus was a fetus. Jesus was an embryo. Jesus grew in the womb of his mother Mary, and uh, if he would have been conceived today, there were many that would probably say that he should be aborted because of the inconvenience that he will bring upon his young mother and her betrothed husband. But Jesus was fully human. He grew in her womb just like every other baby. He was born just like every other baby. He was fully human and that was absolutely essential. He had to be fully man in order to be the mediator between God and men and to be the savior of his world, of the world. And so Mary did not know all the details. She did not know exactly how it was going to work out, but she knew that this child would be named Jesus. The Lord is salvation. She knew that he would be the savior. And the second thing we see that Mary knew from this passage is that, uh, uh, that he will be great. The son that you are going to conceive and that you are going to bring forth from your womb, he will be great. He will be awesome. He will be majestic. He will be set apart from all other people. And it's interesting, we see this, and we talked a little bit about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, notice in verse 32 what the angel says about Jesus. He will be great. 
But remember when the angel appeared to Zacharias in the holy place in the temple, and he was announcing that Elizabeth would conceive in her own her old age, and she would bring forth a son, and they would call his name John. The Lord is gracious. Remember what the angel said about him in, in verse uh, in verse 15. The angel says about John, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. All right, so John, so there's a qualification. John is great in the sight of the Lord. John is an ordinary man, an ordinary baby, an ordinary child, and he will be great, but he will be great because God has chosen to set his favor on John. John has been, God has been gracious to Zacharias and Elizabeth, and he will bring John, and John will be great in the sight of the Lord because he also will have a once in eternity mission. John will be the forerunner of the Christ. He will be the Messiah, the forerunner of the Messiah. He will be the one making ready a people prepared for the Lord. He will go before Jesus and then point him as the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. John, an ordinary human, fully human, great, but only great because God had set his favor on him and God had set him apart for a specific mission, uh, an assignment, a unique assignment in the outworking of his plan to redeem his sinful people to himself. And so instead of John, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. But what does the angel say about Jesus? He will be great. No qualification. And so Jesus is great because he is God. He is God the Son. He is the Son of God. He is great, not because of God's favor, but because of his essential nature. Because of who he is. Because he is fully divine. He is fully God. He is infinitely majestic. He is infinitely glorious. He is great in and of himself. He is not great because the Father makes him great. He is great because of his equality with the Father. It is his nature, his essential characteristics, his fundamental attribute to be great, infinitely glorious, infinitely majestic, infinitely wonderful, infinitely perfect, with all the perfections of God, every attribute that God has, Jesus has in his fullness. He is great because he is God. He is divine, no qualification. And so Mary knew that this son she would bring forth, his name would be Jesus, he would be the Savior, and he would be great. His very person, his very nature, every attribute, every perfection, Jesus is great. He is great because he is God. He is God the Son. He is the Son of God, and he is great. And that brings us to the third thing that Mary knew about Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. He will be called the son of the highest. And so he will be great. And he will be great because he is the son of the highest. And it's interesting, remember Luke, we talked about Luke uh, when we started this book uh, a while back. Remember Luke is a Gentile. He is not Jewish, he is not of the covenant people. He is a Gentile, one who was far off and been brought near by God's grace and he is writing to other Gentiles, primarily. Matthew wrote to 
the Jews to declare that Jesus was their king. Mark wrote, uh, wrote to the servants of God to show Jesus the perfect servant. John wrote to the church to show the church that Jesus is divine and that he is their God. And Luke wrote to Gentiles, to the nations, to those who were afar off, not a part of the covenant people, not of the nation of Israel. John wrote to the nations. I mean, Luke wrote to the nations, to the Gentiles. And as he is writing to show that Jesus is the Savior, and he's not just the Savior of the Jews... He's not just the Savior of Israel, but He is the Savior of the world. And so when He uses this term, He is the Son of the Highest, He is not using the covenant name of God, the covenant name that is incorporated in the name of Jesus. He doesn't use the word Jehovah or Yahweh or Adonai, the Lord, but He speaks of God the Father as the Highest, the Sovereign over all of the universe, over all things, because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And so when Jesus comes, he will not just be the son of the God of Israel. He is the son of the God of the universe. It's the same God, but, but Luke uses that terminology to show that he is the son of the highest. The sovereign, supreme, ruler, sustainer, creator, and master of the universe. Jesus will be called the Son of the Highest, the Most High God, the Sovereign Creator and Ruler of all things. And so Jesus will have the essential character in His own essence. He is the reflection, the radiance of the glory of God. And in Him all the fullness of the Father will dwell. He will be the express representation of His image. All that the Father is, the Son is. The Son will be. And He will be called the Son of the Highest. All the glory and attributes and characteristics of the Creator and Sustainer of the universe will be manifested in the Son. And it's important. It's important that Jesus be fully human so he can be our Savior, so he can be a representative, a mediator between God and men. But it's also important that Jesus be fully God, that he be the Son of the highest so that he can be our Savior. Only one who is divine can bear the full force of the eternal wrath of God for the sins of his people. Only one who is fully God can endure that wrath, defeat the enemy, and then overcome death and conquer death for all who believe. It is essential that he be divine. It is essential that he be God. It is essential that he be the son of the highest in order that he might become the mediator between God and man. He needed to be both man and God in order to be the one mediator between God and men. And so she knew that he would be called the son of the highest, the son of the most high God, that all of the attributes of God would be embodied in him. And that's, uh, that's why that he was conceived as the Holy Spirit came upon her and the, and the power of the highest overshadowed her. Jesus would have no earthly father. He would be fully human. 
and he would be fully God and he would be called the Son of the Most High and that's essential to being the Savior of the world and the mediator between men and God. And so Mary knew, Mary was told by the angel that his name would be Jesus, the Lord's salvation, that he would be great in and of himself and that he would be called the Son of the Highest and forth Mary knew that he would be king. Mary was told by the angel that her son would be the king. Verse 32 says, He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God, now he does use the covenant name of God here. The Lord God, the one who has made a covenant with Israel and made a covenant with Abraham, and a covenant with Jacob, and a covenant with David, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And so that promise that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And when the angel Gabriel was sent from the presence of the Lord to Nazareth, to that out-of-the-way town, there had not been a son of David on the throne in Jerusalem for over 500 years, almost 600 years. Ever since Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took Judah captive, there had not been a son of David on the throne in Israel. And it looked like that the promise, the promise had failed. They had been ruled by the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and now the Romans. God had promised David a son to be on the throne. And for 500 years, it seemed like that had not happened. But the angel tells Mary that this son, this baby, this one who is great, the son of the highest, the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel, will keep his promise and he will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus was descended from David legally through the line of Joseph and physically through the flesh through the line of Mary. He was the descendant of David. And he is the fulfillment of that covenant, that promise that God made to David. To give him a son to sit on the throne. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to David. The king after his own heart. The Lord God will give this child, this son, this Jesus, the throne of his father David. He will be king. He will reign over the people of God. He will reign over his people. He will sit on the throne of David. He is the fulfillment of God's covenant with David. He will be king. And not only that, not only that, verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And so he will reign. He will serve as king over the house of Jacob. And so every promise that God gave to Jacob is fulfilled in Jesus. And so... Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises. Everything in the Old Testament that God promised to his people and through his people is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The promise that he made to David to have a son on the throne forever and ever and the promise that he made to Jacob. As Jacob was fleeing the Holy Land, he saw the Lord. He saw a stairway up into heaven with angels coming up and down. And the Lord told Jacob, said, 
I'm going to bring you back to this land. And as he was bringing him back to the land, he appeared to him again and he said, your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so when the Bible speaks of the house of Jacob, it is synonymous with Israel. Jacob, born Jacob, but uh, after he wrestled with God, his name was changed to Israel. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise and every plan and every purpose that God brought to Israel and that made to Israel. He is the fulfillment, not just the promises of the covenant with David, but he is the fulfillment of the promises to Jacob, the house of Jacob, the nation of Israel. And Abraham, his grandfather, Jesus is the fulfillment, and he will reign. He will be the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, sitting on the throne of David, but not just the king of the Jews. To the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. Through him, all the families, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And so the angel told Mary, this son will be king. The Lord will give him his throne. And so she's, he's telling her, the, the king of heaven, the son of the highest, the ruler of all that is, high above every power and every authority, the king of heaven, the son of highest is coming from heaven to the earth to bring the kingdom of God and to call people from every kingdom of the earth into the kingdom of God by God's grace through faith in the king, infinite in majesty and glory. Jesus, the king of heaven, and he brings a kingdom, and he goes, and we'll see in Luke, he'll begin to preach, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he came and came, and with the king comes the kingdom. And he goes and he proclaims the kingdom, calls people to turn from their sin and to trust in him. And then he dies on the cross, becoming the savior of his people. And then he is raised from the dead to reign. He ascended into heaven. He took his place at the right hand of the Father, the power of all, the place of all majesty and, and authority and dominion in all of the universe where he reigns. And he reigns now, bodily absent from the earth, but present in the earth in the person of the Holy Spirit, reigning, ruling as the sovereign in the hearts and minds of those who have turned from their sin and put their trust in him, who have trusted in his death on their behalf, his glorious resurrection, have turned from sin and have surrendered and entered the kingdom of King Jesus. He reigns and rules in the hearts and minds of his people. And he is working through his church to advance his kingdom. To every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Calling people from every kingdom of the earth into the kingdom of God. By God's grace, through repentance and faith 
in King Jesus. And so Mary knows that this son is going to be king. He's going to be the savior. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the highest. And he is going to be king. Sit on the throne of David. Reign over all of Israel. And bless all the families of the earth. To the west and the east. The north and the south. He will be king. And then she hears one more truth. The fifth truth of his kingdom. There will be no end. His kingdom will endure forever. The throne of David had been vacant for 500 years. But of his kingdom, there will be no end. Yes, he will come and he will be the Savior. He will die for the sins of his people. Man dying for men. Representative, having fulfilled all righteousness and then filling the righteous demands of the law as he dies in the place of sinners who deserve death. He will die and then he will be raised to reign. And he will reign at the right hand of God until the Father tells him to come and gather his bride. He will come again. He will reign upon the earth for a thousand years and then he will reign over a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity. That's people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Having come to the Lord Jesus, to King Jesus in repentance and faith. And he will rule. He is great. Above every authority, every power, every principality, every dominion, every name. In this age and the age to come. And he will reign with his people in a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever of his kingdom there will be no end and so what did Mary know well she knew some very specific things that the angel told her you will conceive in your womb you'll bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus the Lord's salvation he will be great because of his persons, his essence, his being, his deity, his very nature, his greatness. And he will be called the son of the highest. He will be fully God. All of the attributes and characteristics and perfections of God, Jesus is. The essence of his glory, the manifestation of his deity. And he will be king and of his kingdom. There will be no end. His name will be Jesus. And those who enter the kingdom enter by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus in his first sermon will say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We recognize our poverty of spirit, our spiritual bankruptcy, that we can do nothing, nothing good, nothing worthy in God's sight, nothing that would cause him to love us or accept us or welcome us into his kingdom. We come bankrupt, empty-handed, broken, sinful, deserving nothing from God but his wrath. 
But God, in His great love, sent His Son, the Son of the highest, into the world to be salvation. And as a man, He fulfilled God's righteousness and then He satisfied God's righteous wrath as He died for the sins of everybody who will ever come to Him in repentance and faith. And God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. And now He calls on us to turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus. To come and line up under the authority of King Jesus. Trusting Him and Him alone to bring us to God and to bring us into His kingdom. And so as we think of this text, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, have I come to the King in repentance and faith, and have I been born again into this kingdom? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And then we have to ask ourselves, based on this passage, the, the greatness of Jesus. The inherent, essential, total, complete greatness of Jesus. And we ask ourselves, is there anything greater? Is there anything better? Is there anything more important? And of course we ask, and as Christians, we, we immediately say, no, of course there's nothing that's greater than Jesus. There's nothing more glorious. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more awesome. Nothing more wonderful than Jesus. We say that with our words, but what about our actions? Our thoughts, our attitudes. Is our commitment and belief to the greatness of Jesus reflected in the affections of our heart? Or are there things that we love more than Jesus? That we desire more than Jesus? Or are there things that we love and desire on this earth that we're willing to sin against Jesus, sin against God to get? We say Jesus is the greatest, but in our actions and our affections, do we pursue lesser things? Do we think that other things can provide satisfaction, peace, safety, security? The angel said, he's great. That's his nature. He is the son of the highest. He is sovereign. He is the greatest. He is the only thing that can bring satisfaction, that can bring victory. And we should reflect upon his greatness. And His greatness should be reflected in our affections and our attitudes when we love Him and pursue Him above all else. And do we trust Him? Do we trust His leadership, His kingship? Do we believe that His rule and His reign is good and right and just? And that His laws are wonderful and for our good and for His glory? Do we submit to his commandments, showing him our love? Or do we seek other things, believing other things, or thinking that his law is not good or not just or not right, not in our best interest? Do we line up under the kingship, the lordship of King Jesus, seeking to obey all the things that he has commanded do we line up under his authority? And do we see his greatness? Jesus is the great king. And as we live as citizens of the kingdom in enemy territory, as we go into battle every day, 
as citizens of the kingdom. In the rain, in the snow, in the cold, in the damp. And as we go into battle in the desert and the wind and the sand and the heat. As we are pursued, chased down, insulted, reviled, lied about, ridiculed, physically persecuted. We can trust King Jesus. To hold us, to preserve us. And to come again and bring the victory. Because of his kingdom there will be no end. He will come and he will rescue his people. And he will reign over them forever and ever. In righteousness and truth and justice. And he will not lose a single one of his soldiers. Of his citizens. And so as we live as citizens of the king in enemy territory... We can trust the greatness of the Son of the Highest, King Jesus, the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this text, and we thank you for the words of the angel. Faithfully recorded by Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brought to us to give hope and help to us. And Lord, we pray that we would see the greatness of King Jesus far above any other thing. And that our commitment, our belief in the greatness of Jesus would be reflected in our affections, in our desires, in our will, and in our actions. Lord, that we would trust King Jesus and that we would be faithful warriors, faithful soldiers for the kingdom of God. And Lord, help us as we seek to kick down the gates of hell and set captives free. And we pray that you would add to your kingdom those that are being saved. By your grace, through faith, and our King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to stand with me and take your hymnal and turn to... Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.